Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash YWF. This activity is supported by Novartis. Hello, I am Dr. David Planchard from Thoracic Unit, Gustave Roussy, Vigie, France. In this presentation, we will focus on some key study on advance in the area of target therapy and immune treatment in non-small cell lung cancer discussed at the 2022 European Lung Cancer Congress. So firstly, let's start with an important molecular alteration in non-small cell lung cancer, the met exon 14 skipping mutation with three major drugs to target this, tepotinib, capmatinib, and salvolitinib. So we know between 2 to 3% of patients with non-small cell lung cancer may have this oncogenic driver alteration. And nowadays, we need to target this molecular alteration to bring the best benefit for our patients with this molecular alteration. So during this meeting, I've been presented nice data, particularly updated data on tepotinib, capmatinib, and salvolitinib. The first was the vision trial. It's a phase two trial, included patient first line or later line treated with tepotinib, 500 milligrams once daily. It was interesting because whatever the line of treatment, it was observed a huge benefit in terms of response rate, 54% in first line of treatment, and also a benefit whatever the previous line of treatment. And the benefit was also showed for the PFS, but also for the median overall survival, which reached around 20 months in whatever the previous line of treatment. In terms of tolerance, generally it's a good tolerability of the drug, mainly some grade one, grade two toxicity, but it was observed that the most important toxicity, which are peripheral edemia, it's a class effect of the MET inhibitor, and we can observe this type of toxicity, whatever the MET inhibitor, nearly two-thirds of patients may have this type of toxicity, and nearly 10 to 15% may have a grade three or higher toxicity that might need a discontinuation or a dose adaptation of the treatment. The second update was for the capmatinib, also an excellent metric eye inhibitor. It was updated data from the geometry trial. First line of treatment have been updated two different cohorts of patients that were non-pretreated in first line. Magnitude of benefit confirmed also huge response rate, 68%, median PFS, 12 months, and also in terms of median overall survival, 25 months. Really impressive result in first line of treatment, which really push and encourage to test patients for this molecular alteration and to get access with this type of treatment in 2022. The most frequent toxicity, nearly 60% of patients, peripheral edemia, again, mainly grade 1 or grade 2, but nearly 15%, grade 3 or 4 toxicity that might need it to manage discontinuation and dose adaptation, but that confirm what have been observed previously. And lastly, the salvolitinib also, an excellent metric eye inhibitor, updated data on the overall survival, PFS have been presented first line and later line of treatment. It confirmed what had been shown, median PFS nearly seven months, same magnitude of benefit 
treatment naïf or previously treated patient. So again, it's encouraged to get access to the drug, brain meds or not brain meds. It was the same magnitude of progression-free survival. And overall survival was also encouraging. The profile was exactly the same at the previous compound, most important toxicity and frequent toxicity, peripheral edemia, for which we need to manage because it can impact the quality of life for the patient. So MET is completely transforming our patient with the MET exon 14 skipping mutation. We should test tissue biopsy, liquid biopsy, and get access for me in first line of treatment. For the EGFR, we know the standard of care nowadays with osimertinib first line in case of deletion 19, exon 21 mutation. It was shown another compound, the furmonertinib, a third generation to GFRTI Chinese uh, trial that compare this drug to the GFTinib, which confirm what has been observed with osimertinib median PFS nearly 21 months in comparison to 11 months with GFTinib. Confirm what we do in clinical practice, but we need a longer follow-up, what is the efficiency on the brain met for this compound? What is the overall survival currently? We don't have the data. Tolerability was generally good, particularly in comparison to gefetinib. And lastly, for the EGFR, we know also the uncommon mutation, exon 20 insertion, which is quite frequent if we test patient. Amivantamab is probably one of the best compounds currently in this population. The chrysalis trial, we had some additional data, a landmark analysis, which was performed to assess the outcome of patients with a different exon 20 insertion who achieved stable disease as best response and did not progress on amivantamab at 12 weeks of treatment. Interestingly, it was shown a benefit even if this patient were stable disease, PFS, partial response 12.2 months, but also stable disease, median PFS 7 months for the patient, uh, stable disease 23 months, median overall survival. So this drug brings a benefit even in patients where stable disease. I think this is an important message. Immunotherapy is a huge area in non-small cell lung cancer. Different uh, trials have been updated also during this meeting. First of this trial is the Kenot 598. This trial compared in patient highly positive PDL1 more than 50%, pembrolizumab plus ipilimumab versus pembrolizumab. This trial was discontinued for the ipilimumab by external DMC recommendation. And so all patients continue pembrolizumab in monotherapy because the addition of ipilimumab do not bring any benefit, no improvement in overall survival or progression-free survival, but also in terms of response rate, pembrolizumab in monotherapy, 46.5%, really impressive in this population, PL1 highly positive, no additional concern in terms of toxicity profile. In the early stage, we change also our landscape and particularly neoadjuvant, adjuvant treatment with immunotherapy. And with the adjuvant treatment, first positive trial, Impor 010 with atezolizumab that was compared to best supportive care after platinum-based chemotherapy. The trial is positive for the stage 2 to 3A and particularly in patients who are PDL1 more than 50%. Two different cohorts have been looked at, included or excluded EGFR and the HALC as a ratio 0.43. Huge benefit in disease-free survival if patients receive atezolizumab. They also look the pattern of relapse. This is something important. We need the follow-up of the patient. And in the atezolizumab harm, distance metastasis was quite infrequent, 9%, in comparison to 26% in the best supportive care. The time to relapse 
was shorter, 18 months in the atezolizumab harm, and 10 months in the best supportive care harm. No safety data have been updated in this population, PDL1 more than 50%. So completely confirmed that nowadays we should try to get access to atezolizumab in patient early stage, completely rejected, stage two to stage three A, adjuvant chemotherapy. And for the locally advanced, we have a Pacific trial. We know the benefit of Diovalumab after chemotherapy concomitant. We currently don't have the answer if patients are exposed sequentially to chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and after followed by Diovalumab. Median PFS in the world population, 10.9 months. This median PFS of 13.1 months in the performance statute 0 to 1 can be compared and probably indirectly better than the historical cohort of patients for which generally most of the patients progress within one year. No unexpected toxicity to have the sequence of treatment. So we need to have further data. There is currently the Pacific 5, a three trial, included concomitant or sequence treatment followed by Diovalumab. And it will be important to confirm that finally the sequence do have the same benefit finally than the concomitant chemo RT. So nice data, promising data. The next step is probably to understand all the mechanism of escape, particularly for the TKI, for the MED, for the EGFR, and what to do beyond progression after immunotherapy. Understand need to make a new association, so many things to do, and hope we'll have soon new options in third and third line of treatment. And with this, I just want to thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, my name is Solange Peters, and I'm working at the Centre Hospitalier Universitaire Vaudois, the Lausanne University Hospital in Switzerland. I'd like to welcome you to this activity on insights on the increasing impact of targeted therapies as well as immunotherapies in non-small cell lung cancer. We speak about the highlights from the American Association for Cancer Research 2022 annual meeting. In this presentation, we will focus on some key studies, selected studies on non-small cell lung cancer and particularly on advances in the areas of targeted therapy, personalized oncology, precision oncology, as well as immunotherapy, which were discussed at the AACR 2022 annual meeting. So first of all, let's speak metexon 14 skipping mutation. Real-world data are increasingly important in our field uh, of oncology. And for this uh, uh, analysis, 160 patients with metexon 14 alteration were looked at, and a total of 31 of these patients had brain metastasis before frontline treatment, representing 20% of them what is more or less expected in non-small cell lung cancer. The idea was to try to look if patients with brain meds have the same outcome as patients without brain meds before initiation of any treatment. And as you can see, despite the fact that the pattern of treatment were the same between these two groups of patients, the presence of brain meds was associated with strikingly inferior outcomes. The other thing that this study of real-world data was looking at is to see if it's important to have meta-alteration identification before first-line initiation. If you have the NGS report before the frontline therapy initiation, the outcome is also better. And we have very new data which come from the INSIGHT trial. So the INSIGHT trial is targeting this patient with met uh, amplification or overexpression 
as a mechanism of resistance to EGFR-TKI. MET in that situation is not an exon 14 alteration, but it's an amplification that is seen as a mechanism of resistance with the downstream signaling, which is an oncogenic one. These patients have limited treatment options today. This patient, of course, have an EGFR-activating mutation, no T790M. And instead of the usual chemo, which is a control arm, we use a combination of gefitinib and tepotinib, which is an EGFR-TKI with a, a MET inhibitor. The median PFS leads really to uh, uh, an improved duration for tepotinib, gefitinib versus chemotherapy. 4.2 uh, versus 16.6 .6 for tepo and gefitinib, hazard ratio 0 0.13, uh, same thing for overall survival. I think the message is very clear, tepotinib and gefitinib greatly improved PFS NOS versus chemo. At this resistant point of the, of the journey of EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer, but keep in mind that this is the more targeted therapy. If you can stay targeted and have an efficient targeted therapy, it's almost always better than the usual chemotherapy. Of course, side effects are not surprising. Chemotherapy are the usual side effects, mainly hematotoxicity, as well as some, of course, GI toxicity. And the MET inhibition plus EGFR inhibition had the problem of the skin rash, but the problem of MET also, with some perturbation or liver tests, as well as peripheral edema. Let's shift to another target, a very new target, giving rise to lots of excitement, the KRAS uh, mutation. KRAS G12C, we saw at ACR an update analysis of code break 100 with a full analysis, the phase one and two, of sotoracib in these patients who had locally advanced uh, KRAS G12C mutated non-small cell lung cancer or metastatic tumors, of course, and who were pre-treated at least one line, and most of the patients had more than one line. A long follow-up of almost two years. You can see a median overall survival of 12.5 months, one year survival of 50%, two years of 32, which is what was expected in the past from chemotherapy in unselected patients frontline. Of course, sotoracib has some side effects, mainly uh, the GI toxicity as well as our liver toxicity, but most of this toxicity were low-grade toxicity, so an acceptable safety profile and very nice activity as being defined not as a frontline strategy, but as a second line and beyond. So as you can see, probably a new standard for these patients. Last but not least, let's shift to ALK. At ASCR, we saw the results, updated result of the CROWN study, looking at a fourth-generation ALK inhibitor, the lorlatinib, compared to crizotinib, a first-generation inhibitor. As you can see in this updated analysis, now we almost at, are at three years. You can see a hazard ratio of 0.27 in favor of lorlatinib. And as you can see, 64% of the patients under lorlatinib being still without any progression at three years. The response rate was also in favor of lorlatinib, 77% versus 58% for crizotinib. The patient without brain meds almost never developed brain meds. And even in the patient with brain meds, the control is amazingly in favor of lorlatinib. Toxicity is slightly different from crizotinib and lorlatinib. Crizotinib has some GI toxicity and some visu vi visual disturbances as being a very specific side effect. Uh, lorlatinib has CNS side effect. Uh, with a, a spectrum of, of secondary effect, particularly cognitive effect, the mood as well as the speech can be perturbated, but most of the time low-grade, 
you can modify the dose to manage it. So let's go to immunotherapy. This is about the Tislelizumab trial versus docetaxel in the second line. Uh, remember that in the past we had this data showing that in the second line treatment after chemotherapy, any of these checkpoints, anti-PD-1, anti-PDL-1, nivolumab, pembrolizumab, atezolizumab were better than chemotherapy. This lelizumab, a new generation of anti-PD-1, has to show the same. ACI is the first time we can really see the breakdown by histology. This lelizumab is better than docetaxel in terms of overall survival, PFS in patients who progressed after platinum-containing regimen. And these data are consistent with the ITT population, showing the benefits across histology subtypes with more or less a similar magnitude of benefit and the toxicity is absolutely as expected for an anti-PD-1 with the usual immune-related adverse events of low grades uh, that we have been seeing with the other checkpoints. The second trial that I'd like to discuss is unfortunately a, a negative trial. Canakinumab was tested in combination with pembrolizumab and platinum tablet versus the usual standard of care frontline pembrolizumab and platinum tablet. We cannot observe any, uh, I would say, improvement in PFS, in overall survival, while the numbers are as expected when you use the combination of chemo-IO. Good news is Checkmate 816. Checkmate 816, we switch from advanced disease to uh, uh, early disease, and we try to improve the outcome of surgery. And the idea in this patient is to start with induction. And the induction is chemo, three cycles, or nivo chemo, three cycles also, with a, a, a next step, which is surgery. This is the primary uh, endpoint with an amazing increase in pathological complete response from 2.2 to 24% in terms of even free survival. You have a very strong benefit, a p-value of significance of almost 10 months in favor of nivolumab plus chemo versus chemotherapy, leading to a hazard ratio of 0.63. So surgery was feasible and even potentially slightly more easy in these patients. And last but not least, the benefit was seen across all subgroups of patients with overlapping hazard ratio, having led to an FDA approval in the ITT population of Nivo plus chemo today and hoping it extends to Europe later on. In terms of the adverse events, you can see that incidence of grade 3, 4 uh, and surgery-related adverse events was similar between Nivo chemo and chemo, very importantly uh, no increase by nivolumab addition, which is very reassuring for the strategy. So really, I would say a change in the way we can approach uh, the early stage disease. Remember, there is a series of neoadjuvant chemo-IO trials ongoing, a series of adjuvant IO trials ongoing. So we will see many results in the next one to three years, which I would guess would confirm this wonderful new data for our patients. We have more and more targets, more and more drugs. I think the main advance we made here is not so much to identify new targets, but to refine our pharmacology and our pharmacological portfolio of very amazing compounds in order to address these this tumors. Immunotherapy, it's about having more options for patients, more accessibility globally, also having new strategies in early disease, of course, and across many strata of patients. Unfortunately, we have to speak about failures, but I would say for me, the revolution is to potentially treat with IO all patients with non-small cell lung cancer at some point, whatever PDL1, irrespective of the stage, irrespective of biomarkers. So, very important data at ACR, and with this, I really thank you for your kind attention. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.